Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Lauren Paramour. I'm a member of PHM. And I'm one of the people that has been involved in running the EACT project. EACT stands for Equitable Access to COVID-19 Technologies. And the project has been monitoring barriers to equitable access to COVID-19 technologies. I'd like to welcome you to the meeting. So I'm going to start just by giving a brief overview of the, the structure of the program this afternoon, and then we'll get started. So thank you for joining us. So I'm going to hand over shortly to Larato, who has been coordinating the monitoring of the community monitoring aspect of the EAC project. And she will give a brief overview of the project and, and what we've been doing. After that, we are going to have a Q&A with three of the community monitors that have been involved in the EACT community monitoring process. After that, we are being joined by a researcher from UJ, whose name is Bongani, and Bongani has been uh, involved in monitoring vaccine rollout at community level in Gauteng. And then after that, we're being joined by Teresa, who is from National Department of Health and is assisting in coordinating the rollout of the vaccine program in four provinces nationwide. And Teresa will be responding to the inputs that we received from the monitors this afternoon. So I will introduce everyone more fully as they come up to speak. Uh, and so for now, let me introduce Lerato who is currently registered as a Master's of Public Health student at UCT. So her own research focuses on the prevalence of cyberbullying amongst teenagers in the Western Cape. But for this project, uh, Larata has been working with PHM and the community monitors in helping to capture um, the monitoring data from six different provinces across South Africa. And then she will give us an introduction to the EACT project. Thank you for the introduction, Lorraine, and afternoon, everyone. So I'll give a brief overview of the EACT project. So like Lorraine said, EACT stands for Equitable Access to COVID-19 Technologies, and monitoring of, for this project was done under the focus of examining the barriers to equitable access to COVID-19 technologies. And the project focused on PPEs, such as access to masks, sanitizers, and soap. And then we looked at medical treatment for COVID-19 and diagnostics. So we looked at basically whether if people had access to hospitals, isolation sites, clinics, where they could get tested. And we also examined as to whether people are getting informed or are getting any uh, information regarding the vaccine. So EACT was funded through money allocated by the OSF to the People's Health Movement Global Secretariat. And the funding for this research was used to research barriers to equity in access to COVID-19 technologies in three countries. And these three countries were South Africa, South Korea, and India. And People's Health Movement also partnered with Cancer Alliance um, Health Justice Initiative uh, rural Health Advocacy, and the MSF. So the project in South Africa ran in two phases. So phase one of the project focused on producing a situational analysis of legal and regulatory barriers at an international and local level to equitable access to COVID-19 technology. And this project was undertaken by Catherine Tomlinson. And then phase two of the project 
focused on monitoring at a community level. So we monitored community level barriers to access resources such as masks, sanitizers, soaps, isolation um, facilities, tests for COVID-19, hospital treatment for COVID-19 and reliable information about the vaccine. So for this project, uh, for the phase two part of the project, we had seven monitors across six provinces. And our monitors in the Eastern Cape was Andy Pile Mtebula, who monitored a community named Ngalo location, which falls under Nyandeni municipality. And this was, uh, she monitored uh, a rural area. And then we had Bongelani who monitored in the Gauteng and uh, he did monitoring in Soweto, the township called Chawelo. And uh, Caroline Mashejo monitored Mpumalanga, a community named Nelsville, which falls under the city of Mbombela. And then we had two monitors in the Western Cape, which was uh, Gertrude Square, who monitored Valhalla Park, and Nondumiso Sitole, who monitored Kailicha. So both of these are townships. And then uh, Kinosi did monitoring in the Northern Cape in a place called Tabadipala Yang, which is a rural area. And then lastly, in the KZN, we had Nontobego Nsongo, who monitored a um, township called Phoenix, and it's also known as Inanda, which falls under Etequini um, municipality. So what monitors were required to do or asked to do, well, they were supposed to monitor three sites in their communities three times a week. And these sites included places like taxi ranks, taverns, clinics, schools, shops or supermarkets. And monitors would report on what they have observed or heard when they were talking to uh, people about difficulties or the ease of maintaining COVID-19 prevention protocols and accessing tests and treatment when uh, community members needed to. And uh, also monitors would uh, go to communities and ask or hear or report on what people were saying about the COVID-19 vaccine. So they uh, would find out if whether people were willing to take the vaccine or not, or if they were getting any information regarding the vaccine or what was the source of their information regarding the vaccine. So that was that is the overall of the project. So monitors would go around on a weekly basis and give our weekly reports. Thanks, Larato, for the overview of the project and how it ran. Uh, right now, I'd like to welcome Bongelani, Caroline, and Ntosh, who will be the three monitors providing feedback on their experience with the community monitoring process. It started in February of this year, and it's running until the end of the month. So we're in the, the final days of the, the community monitoring aspect of this process. Okay, hi everyone. Okay, my name is Caroline, as already uh, introduced. Thank you so much. Um, the community that I was doing monitoring in, it's a very small community in Bombela. The smaller the community, the faster everything spreads, uh, the easier sometimes to control, and sometimes it's easier for things to be out of control. But um, even give you an overview, the monitoring was done, few different things were picked up, and vital things were picked up, which we'll share during the Q&A. Overall, yeah, the rest we'll share when we go through the discussions, but 
monitoring was done and it was very interesting to find different aspects to how everyone sees the whole COVID thing uh, according to age groups and some according to race, some according to their profession. So it's human beings observe things at a different level. So thank you so much. Thanks, Caroline. Uh, Bongelani? Good day, good day, good day, Lauren. Uh, yes, guys, my name is Bongelani. I'm a community health worker from uh, Shawela, where I work in uh, Shawela Community Practice, which is in uh, Shawela CHC, Shawela Community Health Center. Um, yes, I've been one of the guys who are monitoring the whole thing about COVID. Yeah, that's my introduction. I started working as a peer educator in South African Red Cross. Uh, yes, at the moment, CSW and uh, Gauteng, at Gauteng, basically, working in Region G in Soweto. And yeah, I've been monitoring, yes, having difficulties somewhere there, uh, but managing somewhere there again. Yes, along the line, we'll share the information that I got where the difficulties and the understanding about the vaccines and everything will come up. Thank you. Thanks, Bongelani. I see Ntosh that you joined us. Welcome. I was just asking Bongelani and Caroline to say a bit about themselves and also the, the community in which they've been monitoring. <laughs> um, hi, guys. Sorry for being in and out. My network is troubling me a lot. Um, my name is Josh I'm from Devon. Uh, I was one of the monitoring um, in this six past six months. Uh, I've been monitoring in Devon, the community called Inan, and also in Geneva. Geneva is in Bambai, and also in Phoenix. Um, dwelling too much in these three communities, seeing a lot of things and inputs from Thanks, Ntosh. So let me kick off with the first question and um, let me put it to Caroline. So uh, Caroline, one of the, the things we'd like to hear more about is um, the prevention protocols that um, we always hear on, on the TV, on the radio and so on. Keep your distance, wear your mask, sanitize. In the process of monitoring, did you see whether there was a difference between some groups of people being more careful than others? And, and if so, why do you think those differences occurred? Those who were compliant to the regulations, it's mostly the elderly. And the youngsters don't believe in COVID. They don't follow the regulations. They don't wear masks. I don't know why. And um, the middle um, age in both sides, some of them do, some of them don't. But from my observation, I've realized that those who do are usually the ones who are working in a sector where they're working with a lot of people or they're working in the health sector or maybe in a school because they are the first ones to actually see people who have tested positive, people who have died, and people who have been infected very badly. So they are the ones who actually respond and become extra careful because they've seen what can happen when you get COVID. The elderly, they believe anything that they see on the news or they hear on the news. And we try to encourage them not to listen to anyone else except the news. 
the youngsters, they only believe when something happens to someone close to them, their age group. If it doesn't happen, if there's no statistic of anyone who's in their age group who says this person was infected by COVID and maybe they passed away, they don't believe in it. They ignore it. They try to forget alcohol where they can. They carry on smoking. So those are the two types of observations that I saw when it comes to preventative measures or regulations that we had to adhere to with regard to COVID. Thanks, Caroline. Um, Bongelani, uh, I wonder if you found similar things or whether it was the, whether there were differences in your community. Well, on what I've, I've found out or I've been monitoring uh, is that the people, all in all, they know about the COVID, but the problem is about the information. Elderly people rely on us as youngsters about this information. So yes, they, they, they will hear most of the things in news, uh, but at the end of the day, they will come back to us as youngsters and ask information on what is COVID? What's happening about COVID? What is vaccine? What's happening about vaccine? Uh, they rely they rely mostly in us as young people. So yes, the what the way difficulties there and there. And yes, we still have difficulties about the knowledge, the understanding about this, uh, about COVID, about the vaccine, about everything. But at the end of the day, our elderly people do comply and do follow the instruction, as, as, as my sister just said, the problem that we're having now is the youngsters, about them getting information, about them being informed about everything. Thanks, Bongelani. So, Ntosh, Bongelani mentioned information and access to information. In the community where you monitored, did the information people had about COVID did that information improve over the, the six months that people know more about the virus as you monitored over time? Or did people remain confused throughout the process when you were monitoring? As I've been monitoring, people do know about COVID and they know the protocols, but they do not comply. And with the information that was have been sent via WhatsApp or Facebook or whatever, social media or even in radio station, they do get the information, but they are in denial. Make it as if they don't know what is expected of them. And sometimes they will question if, like we have um, the, 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 the mobile clinic that comes around in our community here and the nurses will try and educate people as they are way to be assisted and then they will give them some information. It will be like that nurse was just talking for fun. Thanks, Intosh. So, I mean, I think something that comes through strongly from all three of you is that the young people are more... Um, um, let's say less careful with the prevention measures than, than the older people. So maybe let me ask about prevention measures at, at public places. And so this is a question to Caroline. So in the news, sometimes we've seen that a lot of the social distancing measures break down at places like um, grant payment sites, or sometimes uh, people say in churches, there's not so much uh, social distancing. And we know that these are places that old people also go to, older people go to. In your communities, were there places where the social distancing was hard to keep up 
where, where people kind of, where it, where it broke down. Let's put it that way. What I've observed is that everywhere, everywhere, I've been monitoring supermarkets, CHC and taverns. It's hard to keep social distance. People don't keep their social distance. You can tell them that uh, these things should be in their head. Like they should know it. They shouldn't be taught about social distance, but up to date, it's hard. Uh, it's just in their nature, like how we used to stand in the line before. It's still there in their mind. No such people where people will say, no, to avoid COVID, we must, yeah, 1.5, 2 meters. No, 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 no. It's hard for people to, to comply with that regulation where you say you should keep your social distance, where you, where you should say you should do that and that. It's hard on my part. Thank you. And can I ask you, Bongelani, so you're based in Gauteng. Was that the case even during this most recent wave or did the people kind of show something different that there's a little bit more distancing? It's not a now thing. It's from, from the start of the COVID-19 in South Africa. It's been hard because people are not used to that. Remember, when you go to a bank, you want your money. You don't care about your social distancing or so on. So you won't follow the line. Remember when you at the CHC, CHC, like I mean, when I'm saying about CHC, I mean community health clinics or health centers, you will find that people want whatever they want. After, after you're done with them, that's when they'll go out. So your, your social distance, they will only take it or do it when there's someone who insists for them to do it, them themselves, uh, no, it's hard. So Caroline, uh, on that, can I ask you in the, the, the places you observed, when people, so, you know, there's this thing of social distancing is hard. Uh, when people are out and about, uh, did they tend to keep their masks on? Were people enthusiastic about masks? Did they feel like masks were not uh, useful, that it was useless? Let me go to the gatherings that um, you asked about initially. Church and funerals, uh, a very sensitive gathering. So you go to church, you guys know each other very well, and people still want to hug and greet and handshake. You go to a funeral, you're doing observations or monitoring in a community where you live in. So the moment you start showing regulations, your community members look at you as if either you've got COVID or you think they've got COVID. So it's not about the regulation anymore. People see it from a different point of view. So now you have to find, to strike a balance between can we try and um, do as, uh, as, as expected by government and protect ourselves. Community members will still look at it the way, they, from a community point of view. So now we are at a funeral and then there's food served and then Government says there must not be after tears. And now it's a big family. There's more than 50 family members there. What are the chances of anyone removing a mask when they're eating? There's no ways, and you can't eat with a mask on. But they don't understand that once we social distance, we can still scream at each other for that small, short space of time. So when now, now that we're eating, they all remove their masks. And then they get closer because must remember at a funeral, there's always politics. So we want to discuss the politics in silence, we must get closer to each other. 
this is where the spreading starts as well. But if you tell them there really is no, forget about the regulations. We want to talk about this issue. Did you hear how this person died? You know, you just start the politics of the family. A few days later, you realize that one of them was positive and you are all sitting around the circle pretending to be eating mean while you're talking about something as it has to do with the death. So we take off the masks. They take off the masks, everyone. In church, they try to keep them on. I must say, they try to keep them on. You get one or two of them. When you're busy singing in church, your heart palpitates and then your heart rate goes up, your high blood pressure goes up. One person pull it down because now they can't breathe properly because you're singing and you're trying to breathe and you're not used to breathing behind the mask. It's also another problem. You walk up as an usher and you tell them, please cover up. You get a funny look. Because you go to them and say, can you please cover up your nose? You get a funny look. If you go to church next Sunday, they don't come to church because you told them to cover up their noses. That's just one of the observations that I did with regard to wearing a mask in a gathering. Thanks, Caroline. I mean, what's really coming up from what everyone is saying is how difficult it is to be human in the way that we're accustomed to being human with all the regulations. So, yeah. I wonder, Ntosh, if I could ask you, so we've spoken about distancing and masking. So I wanted to check in the community um, where you've been monitoring, in terms of access to water for washing hands, cleaning, sanitizer, and so on, have there been changes or difficulties in, in accessing water soap sanitizer over the course of the time that you've been monitoring? Um, there's a problem with water because sometimes you'll find water there's no water at all. And in Phoenix, it's much better because water is always there. Uh, here, some some of the households, they are using that. So sometimes you find they are in short of water. Even the car that is supposed to come and collect that bucket system is not coming. So it was a bit of a challenge this side. And also with the masks, you find taxi drivers not wearing their masks. And when you come as a passenger, uh, asking people to wear their mask, it's like you are in another planet, or you are someone who is not known in this area, or you're trying to make yourself better than anyone. And you will get those eyesight from everyone inside the taxi. I've witnessed that happening in, in people. And also in, 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 in this, this thing of 350 in post office, it's one of the areas that I've been, I've been um, monitoring. It's always full. I don't know if they can use another strategy of people not going to post office because I feel like that's, that's where uh, people are getting infected, especially young people here in Phoenix, here in Inanda. It's, it's, it's always the case. It's always full. I don't know what can be done, but, you know, we have now seven hotspots here in Phoenix, which is Brookdale, Clayfield. Right now, it, testing and screening is being done there because there is high number of people who are being infected with COVID-19. Yet, young people don't want to get vaccinated. They are questioning this vaccine. They are questioning everything. They just don't want to get the information, yet they are getting sick. And can I ask you, Ntosh, now that we, we have you on a, a good line, um, in terms of the vaccine, the monitoring that you've done, where do people get most of their information about the vaccine? 
And uh, for older people in particular, is the vaccination something that they are enthusiastic about doing? Old people do want to get vaccinated in, in most areas that I've been in. Old people do want to get vaccinated. But the problem is when the CHWs or health workers introducing this vaccine to older people in households, youngsters in the families are the ones who are complaining. They are saying if it happens that our granny passes on or our mother passes on because of this vaccine, we will call you and you, you, you will bury her. You know, those those remarks. But you will find what grandmother is saying, no, my kids register me, take me wherever where I'm going to get my vaccine because anyway, I'm going to die. I'm old now. But it's always that debate between young stars and, 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 and their parents or, or their grandmothers. But old people just want to get vaccinated. Even if the vaccine was being rolled out, the stations were full, the clinics were full with older people because they wanted to get the vaccine. Thanks, Ntosh. Okay, so Bongilani, maybe if um, if you can get us, give us a sense of um, the people that you've spoken to, what you've heard, where do they get most of their information about the vaccine? Is it social media? Is it radio, TV? Is it other people that have been vaccinated? And, and how is that influencing them? Well, Lauren, the eight differs. When it comes to this vaccine thing, um, when I say it differs, I mean uh, the source where our parents or our grandparents, uh, where they get information, differ from us as youngsters where we get our information. Um, our elderly people rely on government, rely on our president, where they 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 make sure that they listen to our president. Um, then our youngsters rely on social medias most. So about the vaccine, um, our grandparents will, will hear everything, what the president says or whoever minister says, then they'll come back to us as youngsters and ask the information or ask for clarity according to these, what they heard. Then we as youngsters, it's where we come in. We confuse our elder people because we, we, we tell them our own understanding. If I don't understand COVID, eventually I will tell my grandmother or my grandfather uh, my message as, as I understand it. And if I understand COVID, I will tell them whatever information. So that's where the difficult part is it. Yes, our elderly people meet, especially the grandparents, especially our grandmothers. They do meet. Uh, we can tell them that Mama, stay at home. Mama, don't go out. Mama, do this. At the end of the day, they will go out and they will meet their peers. Uh, that's where they get information. That's where they decide either they take vaccine or not uh, because of their peers. But they go challenge their peers according to the information they got from us as youngsters. Uh, that's where they go and ask. But at the end of the day, they do, they do want to vaccine. What we saw... As, as, as Ndosh is saying, uh, we find that more people are gathering in our clinics or in their clinics or wherever the, the, uh, where they, they receive the vaccine and more other people go there so that they can get vaccinated. Whatever information we come up with, they challenge it and, and then they go ask their peers so they can go and vaccine. At the end of the day, the challenges, the more challenges that we have, you were talking about the soap, uh, 
uh, water and sanitizer earlier. We found that, or I found out that, that uh, yes, in, in our location, we do have water and so, but the problem is that when people get sanitizer, they think it's a substitute for water and soap. So they think that if they use sanitizer, they won't be COVID. They forget about water and soap. And in our society, we do have water in our back rooms or in our backyard, uh, in our yards, basically. We do have water. Some do, do have whole, uh, soap, some don't. But we try by almost to teach people that even, even, even if you don't have sanitizer, it's not a necessity. It's not necessary to, for you to have sanitizer. But if you have water and soap, it's the best. Why? Because it's extra clean. And, and water and soap, it's more cleaner than sanitizer because uh, you will rub yourself rubbing your hand with the sanitizer, blah, blah, blah. But when you're using your whole, when you, your soap and water, it's more than like you, you can wash and clean your hands. Uh, we, we, we had a challenge based on that because people were wanting more sanitizers to our government saying, no, we need to have sanitizer, we need to have sanitizer, we need to have... At the end of the day, you have water in your backyard. You have soap in your room. Why don't you use the boat? That was the, the, the challenge. It, but maybe we tried. I'll say maybe because, you know, out of 10, you can get one or two people who, who yeah. practice that. Uh, that's the that's that's the most thing that we I saw on 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 this side. I wonder, Caroline, also to give you just a chance to speak about the vaccines, or if there's anything else you want to pick up on with what Tosh and Bongalani have mentioned. But maybe on the vaccines, what's the biggest obstacle that you've come across uh, when you say to people, "No, you should go get vaccinated. It's something that will protect you against COVID." What's the biggest obstacle? Is it the ideas people have about the vaccine? Is it physical access to the vaccination site? Is it registering? Um, what are some of the obstacles people face in accessing vaccines? Um, I think the biggest uh, obstacle when it comes to vaccine, it's the answer no. When you're talking about vaccinating, the first answer you get is no. So that alone is a, it's a, it's a serious challenge. It's a serious challenge because the person who's saying no is spreading. They're going to be, they're going to be the super spreaders. You're going to have the same problem that America is facing now where uh, 35 and younger have not been vaccinated and now they're all hospitalized or in ICU or they've been infected, they're very sick. My biggest challenge is when somebody says no to go and get vaccinated and they are reason it's not substantiative. Why not? You, you, your parents vaccinated you when you were small. It's just a vaccine. Why? Do you know anyone who died from a vaccine? Do you know anyone who got sick severely without getting better afterwards? Because we all respond differently. And if you're not a doctor or a medical person, sometimes they ask you, do, what do you know? You go and vaccinate first and then come and tell us. So we have to have uh, stronger than a liver to get and people convinced. My, my only observation is yeah. the answer no. Where does that no come from? Why is it that people are saying no? It's the rumors that they're hearing about the vaccine, the symptoms that they, they hear about it, um, the things that they've seen on social media, the things that they've 
social media is an obstacle. It's an obstacle when it comes to things like this, but sometimes it helps. But for now, with the COVID, it gave us problems. Mm. So, yeah, that's the observation. Thanks, Caroline. Uh, Bongelani, you looked like you wanted to come in on the question of uh, the obstacles of vaccination. Yes, 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 Lauren, about the obstacles of vaccination. One of the things I, I, I was saying the obstacles was us as youngsters. Uh, the other obstacles uh, that is happening there about the vaccine is, is social media. Social media is killing is killing government. Social media is killing us as as, as, as people who are on the ground preaching this word of people who must get vaccine. And, 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 and the third thing is the explanation of the scientific words. Um, it's, it's, it's a problem to, 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 our, to our society. For example, I'll, I'll just mention, if you're a doctor or you're a nurse or you, you this in health, you'll understand. But the, people, the, the person who is not in that field will ask a lot of questions about the simplest way, antibodies. When you talk about antibodies, people will try and, 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 explain, it, and explain it in, 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 in the level where they say anti is this, bodies is that, but it's not the proper explanation. So that's where I come up with the explanation in scientific words. That's hindering us as, as, as why people should... should, should should be vaccinated and why people should get vaccine. Uh, it's how they, they, they give out information out there. So it's, 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 it's a problem. But, but because of our elderly people, as I said before, they, they, they go around and ask whoever they, they, they find uh, to be knowledgeable about that information. They do ask our elderly people. But the, that's the obstacle as such. We see people don't understand. People don't understand the, 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 the actual concept of vaccine. Yes, they know that their children or us or whoever got vaccinated, we got your PCG at your first year, you got your what, what. They do understand that, but they don't understand. What is it? Like, they don't understand what it does into your body. They don't understand uh, why you should, why there's a need you should take it. That information they don't have a platform to tell you the truth, Lauren. They, 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 they can write on Twitter. They can go on Facebook. They can go wherever. They don't have a platform to access that information except us as CSWs. If we as CSWs don't have the information, eventually that becomes their obstacle because they rely on us as CSWs. If we're not informed uh, that much, it's, it's, it's a problem where it's where we, we work with uh, the organizations like PHM, like your, your what, what, 27, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but it's where we rely on them, where they, 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 they do the workshops about the vaccine, where we, where they, 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 we do these Zoom uh, workshops about the vaccine, where we got information educated about the vaccine. It's where uh, people like Bongilani and Toj are privileged to have uh, organizations like this uh, to, to, to get knowledge. Other than that, our government is not helping us as community health workers to, 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 to give out information to these people. It's a challenge. Otherwise, we have to find information on our own to help our community. Thanks, Bongelani. So, 
I'm going to ask uh, one last question of everyone, and, and then we're going to move to Bongani from UJ. Um, and maybe because Bongalani, you're there, we'll start with you. But uh, <laughs> if you can summarize the main takeaway, the main insight, the main thing that really um, you found that we need to focus on in terms of COVID prevention and management from the six months of monitoring, uh, what would that be? What is the most important thing you think we should do in the next, let's say, six months until the end of the year? Well, Lorena, I've, uh, I've been part of that. It's information-based. We need to make sure that our community understand or our, 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 our material that we send to people as in a basic language, it's in a basic language, like basic English, uh, where people can understand what they are dealing with, uh, where people can understand what they are facing. All in all, it's the information. Uh, because we debate, we, 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 we fight, we, we, we argue based on the information part. Uh, if the information is clear enough uh, about the vaccine, if the information is clear enough about the COVID, because why I'm saying COVID, because you'll find people still saying COVID was man-made, uh, COVID was this, COVID was that. Uh, if you can get a clear information, a clear and an understandable information where there's no scientific ways or those scientific ways are explained uh, clearly, that can help us as a community. That can help the government. Yeah. Thanks, Bongelani. Ntosh, what would you say is the, the most important thing to do going forward in the next six months based on what you've observed during the monitoring? What I can say is maybe we need more trainings, conduct more trainings. Maybe, you know, when we had those dialogues with youth, I think we should keep on doing that because I feel like we still need more education and being transparent about things. Once people are educated about COVID and they know facts and also about the vaccine, I think things will be smooth if people will understand the importance of wearing your mask, you know, those basic, I think the proper training will, will, will benefit us. Thanks, Ntosh. Caroline, the last word is yours before we move to Bongani. Um, Lauren, I think um, the most important thing is to sing one chorus, wear your mask, social distance is more important because if you're wearing, if you're social distancing, you are better than not wearing a mask. And sanitizing is also good. In a way, it's very good. But what I can take away from what I've observed in the last six months is that our people are very skeptical. They only believe what they see. That's why South Africans love prophecy. They want to see, they want proof. And we need to find a way where it needs to sink in that if we don't comply, we're going to have COVID for a very long time in, amongst us. Because if you want to educate them again about COVID, you've got to find a way that is not going to make them question too much. We have to give them the information without giving them the chance to to question too much because once they question they open up too many too many things that are unnecessary 
how are we going to get people to get information? The radio and television. I don't want social media because the moment you put on social media, somebody, one person is going to make a funny comment that is not um, necessary and they think it's a joke. Radio and television, it must come from one source. The government must take charge and they must make sure that they they blow the whistle very loud when it comes to I so, so agree with Mom Kilorain. I so agree. And then um, the other thing that I've learned as well out of the observation is that um, our people take a while to come to the party. They're taking a very long time while meanwhile people are dying every day. And you know, it's very unfortunate that when somebody's got COVID, we only realize it when they've got symptoms and we don't have 850 to go and test. And then they say they are isolating, but they're in the house because we don't have money to go and isolate in a hotel. How many of them are going to comply to sitting in one room, running to the toilet quickly and going back, not coming out at all to come and greet or talk or watch TV? How many of them are going to comply to that? So again, we need the SANDF to be standing at our gates. SANDF has to stand at our gates or taxi drivers must come to our gates and say, there's a COVID in this yard. We don't want to see any running around. That unfortunately, our people only understand that language where you have to use vulgar, you have to use strength, you have to fight for their own lives, for their own health. You have to stand up and fight and say, SANDF, please go out into the streets and make sure that people are complying. So thank you to Caroline Bongelani Ntosh for your insights. So uh, Bongani Kwezwi is a researcher from UJ and he has been part of a project monitoring vaccine rollout uh, in the Gauteng area. And we'd like to welcome him to share some of his insights um, around uh, what you've been monitoring in your, your own uh, project. So thanks, Bongani. I know you're very busy. Thank you for making time. Thank you for joining us. And uh, the floor is yours. Thanks, thanks very much. Um, yeah, so maybe just to correct one thing. Um, so uh, as you've said, I mean, I'm a researcher at University of Johannesburg working under uh, South African social change at TJ. Identify problems out in, in a perfect and also come up with solutions. One of the things that we've realized is that like um, identifying only problems, uh, it's a challenge. So we also need to come with solutions and advise the government of what is it that they must do. Uh, so, uh, Kate, uh, my 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 boss, uh, Kate Alexander, who sits on the government uh, committees and stuff, uh, uh, refers our fundings, our research uh, to the government committee and the minister of health uh, to address what that we found on the ground. Um, I want to agree with most of what uh, the community monitors have said. This is something that like, we have also found from the ground. Uh, and as they were speaking, I was like saying this is firstly what let me address the issue of uh, education. When this pandemic started last year in March, uh, it was an issue of corona and there were lots of 
issues that were raised from the social media and everything. Other people are saying that our government wants to introduce 5G. Other people are saying that there's no corona. Our government is just trying to minimize. The, like, there were lots of fake news that were spread people in terms of masking up, in terms of social distance. When the other committee was speaking of the post office, uh, saying that the number of people in the post office, there's no social distance. This is true. Uh, we, what, what we did was to um, mobilize communities, and we have an organization called CAO, Community Organizing Working Group, whereby we organize communities and ask communities to go to places like post office and ask people to do social distancing and also, also sanitize them. Uh, and that was uh, from UG, uh, using our resources from UG to try to assist the situation. Because we realize that like, uh, our people like, are not really taking this serious enough that this pandemic that kills people. Um, so that was one, one, one case. But also, uh, I want to speak most of what uh, the community has said in terms of what's happening in, in, in areas where there are vaccination sites. I went around the country and in Limpopo, I went to Malanga, I went to Limpopo, I went to Houting, I went to Kedin, and I also went to Western Cape. And one of the major things that we found was that like most of people are getting vaccinated in a way that like they should use their own money to get to the vaccination site meaning that people are using transport to get to the vaccination site. And that was one of the problems. That is a big problem for people. Like, for instance, if a member of your community has 20 rands and he needs to use the 20 rand to go to the vaccination site, he would rather or she would rather use the 20 rand to buy bread and milk uh, so that she can survive than going to the vaccination site. And we have raised this with the Department of Health, we raised this with the ministers to say the issue is that like vaccine must come to the people, not people going to the vaccine, because that's where the problem is. And the government started to introduce what we call pop-up sites, whereby they go to different sites. But given that, it has some challenges, because what they do is that like, they decide to say, today we are going to, for instance, if you are at Western Cape, then they say, today we are going to uh, Kailich or wherever where it is an information. But the issue is that, like, how do you tell the community that on this day, there will be people uh, that will come to vaccinate people, so get ready and bring people into that area. The problem is that with that, is that the government did not involve community, influence communities to participate in this process. Like, in, when you say communities, we speak of counselors, we speak of traditional healers, we speak of pastors, uh, priests, pastors, we speak of people who are leading civil society organizations to be part of the empty communities to participate on the vaccines uh, and get vaccinated. The, the proper type comes, but they are because it's uh, that, that's, that's the first challenge. The second challenge is the issue of education. Everyone is raised this. Uh, just recently, our government has announced that like, um, 
Um, can you please tell me, I think Asamul said, like, uh, if I should I speak louder, I don't know if it's my network or something. But just recently, our government just announced again that on the 1st of September, people from 18 to 35 will be vaccinated. So, and we see that the, what the minister is trying to do is trying to push his heart for everyone to get vaccinated. But the problem is this. While we go to zeros from 18, there are many people from 60 and above who are still not yet vaccinated. This is the problem. There are people from 60 and above who are not yet vaccinated because they were registered using community health workers. Uh, and some of those, like for instance, in Protea South, in Gauteng, whereby community health workers went house to house trying to get people to be vaccinated. And they were registering them on the paper, using a paper and a pencil. And that information moved from, 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 the, from that house to the clinic where somebody needs to capture that data. And for them, they, after the, the community must get the response using SMS. Till today, other people are still waiting for that SMS. The SMS that will tell them today, go to Shawila Clinic, go to Linesia Clinic uh, for your vaccination on this day. Why there's a delay with EVTS process. And that on its own has created problems uh, for many people to be able to go to the vaccination site. Uh, and, 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 that's, and many people are not even aware that there's what we call walk-in. So, so, so and, and that's, that's a part where all, everyone has spoke about the issue of information to the communities. If the government was using community leaders, then communities would have went around with the loud to tell people to say, if you have not received your SMS uh, or to be vaccinated, then just go to the clinic or just go to anywhere there's a vaccination center. You can be or that SMS. What we did was to go to protest out and arrange transport using nuclear resources to get few taxis where we took many many people who were already on the who were, had already registered with the community world workers past waiting for the services and took them to Lenaza Clinic and we did walk-ins and they were registered there and there and they were vaccinated. So these are the challenges that we're trying to raise with the government to say many people are going to be affected and many people are going to be, it will look like many people are resisting or whatever, but because um, with, with the approach that the government is currently doing in terms of pushing, like for instance, just last month, at uh, 35 and, and above, we're, we're getting vaccinated. Now 18 and above are getting vaccinated. Those who have education, those who understand uh, the, the importance of vaccine, those who are, who, are, who, are, who, are, who are rejecting the fake news on the social media everyone has spoke about, are going to be vaccinated. But most of those who are uneducated, most of those who are lacking information about all this, are going to be left behind. So it becomes a survival of the fittest. Uh, and as a result, then most of poor communities uh, would like information. Most of people who are living in the informal settlement who don't have vaccination sites uh, around where they are, then are going to be, are going to serve. But most of people who are rich, most of people who are insured, who have medical aid, are going to benefit because People who are insured, they can, they can go to clinics, they can go to this camp, they can go to private clinics, they can even go to public hospitals to get vaccine. So they're going to lose vaccine in order for them to survive. And as a result, poor are going to suffer the most. 
So the problem is this: like we we have like our own government failing the community in terms of education. I want to speak of what we're currently doing in Protea South in a way of we're trying to show the society and try to show the government on how they should do this. One is that like we're doing mirrors in, in each and every world that we find in Protea South that says either mask up, uh, vaccinate now, no one is safe until, like those messages, no one is safe until we're all vaccinated. So doing mirrors like so that people can read it. And as we are doing this the past few weeks, people are starting to engage us, asking us lots of questions and we are trying to explain to them. We are going around in a community with the, with the loud haters telling people why it's important to mask up, why it's important to vaccine. This is what the government should have done even from the start when this introduced the fact that like, people should be vaccinated. We are issuing pamphlets to people in different languages whereby people need to speak about this. So these are the things that like the government should do. Like we're here to see a single report. The only report that I saw uh, was with, I don't, I don't know the occasion, but I know my friend, Tinashe in Western Cape, where there's a billboard. But like I've went around the country, I have yet to see any billboard that speaks about the vaccine. Neither is the social media, like the, the, the media itself, like SAPC. SAPC is a public broadcaster that should have like started speaking about getting people to be vaccinated. Yes, the president will speak, but we need to see this even with media, with our actors, to show that there's something that kills people. Like even at our, our soaps that we watch, they should be more about the vaccine, more about the mask up and those things. But everything looks like it's, it's normal, it's always, but things are not really as normal. So we need to see all those things. So as I'm trying to say, I don't know, I'm, I'm jumping there and there. But mostly at the, the current issue that is happening is that like we're faced with the virus called Delta, which is really killing people. Uh, we different from everything that you see in the state wave, whereby it can affect you feel like it's about to kill you. So what's happening is this, uh, most of our people, they are already affected. And, then, and, and when that happens, because our youth are using our parents or our, their own grannies as a study for the vaccine, and I'm saying this as a study for the vaccine, because now the youth is, and we can't be vaccinated, we're not going to be vaccinated, and we're not going to use this. It's key. So that's, that, that shows how the youth is using their own uh, elders as, as, as a study for the vaccine. Um, uh, or, um, uh, most okay. uh, most of uh, the people that are, are, I've worked with, uh, there are people that are in a way that like are already being affected and they know that they're affected by corona and that without even informing the nurses that I'm already having symptoms of being affected. This is what I have. But because they want to survive and they know very well that if they say I flu, the nurse won't, won't vaccinate me and then they do that and can vaccinate. As a, as, a, as a result, in the end, then the person pass away, and then as a result, then they claim it into vaccine. Because of there are many people who are anti-vaccine who will do anything to make sure that like they spread the weight of people not getting vaccinated, and that becomes a problem in the society itself. Yeah, so, so those, 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 are, those are the issues. So maybe in the end, it's just that like, I think everyone must advocate for government 
to make sure that like we don't leave anyone behind, that we educate each and everyone about this vaccine. As much as the government opens, they are trying to push hard to vaccinate everyone because my sense is that like uh, introducing 18, uh, 0 to 18 to be vaccinated is, is the government aim to push forward, to push everyone, but they must not leave everyone to They must educate our, our society. They must educate our people. They let, let them do that parallel uh, with everything so that even those who are 16 and above can now decide to say we want to be vaccinated and we work on that. Thanks, Bongani. So, I mean, I think you've raised many issues that, that the previous speakers raised. I think you've also raised some new issues. Um, so maybe if I, if I was just to summarize before I hand over to Teresa, um, you know, class uh, seems to be one of the, the main barriers to accessing vaccination sites in terms of the money, the disposable income people have to be able to access um, vaccination sites that are maybe far away from home. Uh, another key issue that's come out is information. So people not having access to accurate information about um, uh, the importance of prevention me measures or, or vaccination. So that the vaccines work, but even information about um, walk-ins, about um, the prioritization of, of older people. So ages 60 plus, 50 plus, um, that, that these are still issues that um, people don't necessarily know about. Um, the, the other big issue that's come out, um, and uh, yeah, I'm thinking particularly of what the monitors reported, is that there seems to be some skepticism amongst the youth about vaccines. Bongani also mentioned this. Um, but the other thing also is that the, the youth, less so than other people, are taking prevention protocols less seriously. And then I think something that came out quite strongly is um, just the difficulty that there is in um, maintaining the prevention protocols, particularly the protocols around um, social distancing, physical distancing, both inside the home, which is something that Caroline spoke about, but also outside the home when people are moving about. Um, and that the, the prevention, I mean, sorry, the distancing issue is not only an issue of is there physical space to distance, but there's also an issue of, of uh, you know, uh, us being socialized uh, in a way where if we ask people to stay far away from us, to stay two meters away, to not touch us, um, that that's something that's perceived as offensive under normal circumstances. And so it's something that's difficult to do under COVID because it still hurts people's feelings. It's still perceived as offensive, even though it's a, a quite an important prevention mechanism in terms of transmitting the virus. Um, and then maybe the, the final thing I think that came out quite strongly is the importance of uh, family influence and, and peer influence. I think uh, Bongelani spoke about this, which is um, the importance of younger people in families influencing older people. In a way, um, Bongani also spoke about this. Um, so younger people influencing older people to go get vaccinated, uh, younger people being a resource of information for older people. Um, but also, uh, as Bongelani said, you know, when grannies get together, there's also a measure of, of peer education and peer-to-peer -peer information sharing that happens. Um, and that those kinds of um, transmission belts for information about vaccines, about prevention, distancing, masking, all of those things um, 
are important. Uh, and then, of course, along with government campaigns, government information on the radio, TV, billboards, and so on, um, about vaccines and vaccination access. So, um, Bongalani, I see that your hand has been up, but I want to hand over just to the, the final person making an input today uh, before I take questions, which is Dr. Um, Teresa Muesigwa. Um, she's a member of the provincial support team in charge of the vaccine rollout. Uh, she's currently serving as a COVID-19 vaccine rollout facilitator supporting four provinces with um, planning and implementation of the COVID-19 rollout. Uh, vaccine rollout, sorry. She's got experience across public health and business, and she's worked with the National Institute for Communicable Diseases as a clinician, and also at the leading global strategy consulting firm as a management consultant. Uh, Dr. Teresa has also served as the national chairperson of the Junior Doctors Association of South Africa. Uh, she holds a medical degree, and she's currently pursuing a diploma in health economics. Um, so I'd like to welcome Teresa um, and uh, ask her to share some of um, her comments, her insights um, in response to what she's heard today uh, from the monitors and also from, from Bongani. So to what extent um, are these problems known to the National Department of Health? To what extent um, are they trying to devise strategies to address them? Uh, and perhaps also if she could speak to issues that have not necessarily uh, come out in this discussion, but um, problems to accessing vaccines that NDOH is aware of and, and is hoping to address. So, Teresa, over to you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that introduction, Laura. And I must again thank you for the invitation to offer input on this discussion. Uh, as you said, I do support four provinces, and two of them are currently represented by Caroline and Dosh. Um, so very excited that to hear some of the feedback on the ground. And I also recently took a neighbor to get vaccinated at Shawila CHC. So I can echo and appreciate and relate quite strongly to some of the comments that Womanani made about that particular site. So I think to start, I think a lot of what has already been raised resonates quite strongly, especially by raised by the site observers around behaviours related to mask wearing. Um, the discrepancy, again, between older and younger people is something that we've seen and are trying desperately to combat. Um, but unfortunately, it's a, it's a message that needs to be reiterated again and again, um, especially because we've seen more and more that younger people are not as immune as was initially thought at the, at the start of the rollout. I think the, the point on trust influencing mask wearing behavior is also well made um, and resonates quite strongly because we have seen, and it's part of the reason why they were, why limits to gatherings has been a, a strong a strong or has been seen to be an effective strategy against against combating the spread because we do see that when gatherings are allowed, when people are around people that they trust, um, they sort of tend to be a little bit more comfortable and loose with the mask wearing. And indeed, that's when the greatest danger is posed. And we saw this, for instance, at the start of the pandemic, 
last year, the Eastern Cape, for instance, where funeral practices and funeral attendants were part of the reason that drove the the high number of cases in, in that province. And then finally, vaccine hesitancy. I think that one, again, is well noted, but it's a complex one that relates to a number of different issues, right? There's fundamentally a lack of information um, that that drives vaccine hesitancy hesitancy and this is something that needs to be addressed and we're constantly working to address it um, through national strategies but also at the provincial district and local level through local radio local adverts especially ones that are pitched to pitched in the local language because that is what will resonate most strongly with the people receiving those messages. Um, so those are just some general comments. And then I think I'll then speak directly to, to the rollout. And I'd like to preface this my, my comment on this by noting that the current vaccine rollout in the country is a first of its kind project for the country and for the world by and large. And so I think it's very obvious that nothing will be perfect from the get-go, but I think from what's been most reassuring, especially sitting both outside of the government, but simultaneously within the government, what's been most reassuring is to see all the ways in which the program has been responsive, not only to issues that have have been observed, but also issues raised by civil civil society, by uh, partner organizations. Um, and so we have we have been walking, we've been learning, we've been adapting, and it has very much been a dynamic process. And I think, for instance, uh, a lot of the, the barriers that uh, Bomani raised are barriers that were noted from the very beginning. So, for instance, starting with the EVDS portal. Uh, so the EVDS being web-based proved to be to be a barrier along with the scheduling that was associated. And the minutes that this was seen in the data and especially noted in the number of over 60s who were registering versus getting vaccinated, um, then the strategy was pivoted, right? And it became about encouraging people to walk into vaccination centers. And that's the policy that has now been touted widely and across radio, across TV, by the president every time he speaks, because we recognize that the EVDS was proving to be a barrier. Similarly, the scheduling, and again, this was a point raised to say that um, a lot of the elderly, especially, were being registered by community health care workers, were being registered by people outside of the homes and outside of their homes. And so when the scheduling SMS was meant to be sent, it wasn't necessarily arriving at the right to the right phone. It wasn't arriving at the right time. And so it became very clear and apparent that the strategy needed to be changed. And that's that's what happened. Uh, language also was noted to be a barrier with everyone crying out that the EVDS cannot only be in English when we have 10 other official languages. And as a result, a lot of work has been done in the background to ensure that this, this, this barrier is overcome and that the EVDS is available in more languages and is therefore accessible to more people and not necessarily people who only understand 
English. Um, and then when we talk about access more broadly and we start getting into physical access, I think um, this again was noted to be a barrier. And so the reaction to this has been, especially in the more rural provinces, to set up outreach programs where the, the idea and the overarching principle is that the vaccine should go to the people. And we've seen that in provinces like Limpopo, who are currently needing the, the rollout in terms of the proportion of their population that we've covered, that strategy of taking the vaccine to the people has been highly effective. Um, and so it's definitely something that's picking up in, in other provinces as well. But I think what's worth noting and pointing out quite clearly here is that um, as with other programs in the country, national almost sets or national tends to set the policy and the strategy and the targets with the provinces being uh, being empowered to then determine for themselves how how they execute on the strategy and and how they roll out the program because again what is true for the northwest province will not be true for the western cape and will not be true for the eastern cape and so the provinces are fully empowered to determine what works best and there's also and and in that then there is the opportunity for best practice sharing. So for instance, what, what worked in Limpopo and what was driving their success is now being replicated in other provinces with similar, similar challenges and terrain like the Eastern Cape. Um, so that's the first one that, the, uh, that uh, that's the first way in which the access challenges have been addressed. Another one, um, which is the opening up to younger, to younger people sooner. So initially, uh, the plan was to use an age-based sequencing to determine which populations are eligible when, uh, or which age groups are eligible when. And that is still what, what we're currently, what, that is still the official policy. However, what was noted in other, in other countries is that when you open up sooner, you're not necessarily disadvantaging. Apologies for, for the lawn mowing in, in my background. Um, but what was noted in other, in, in other countries and other parts of the world is that by opening up to younger generations and younger age groups sooner, you're not necessarily disadvantaging the elderly because what you then create is, again, the opportunities for families to then go in together. So, for instance, if a 60, 70, 80-year-old woman has a daughter or a son or someone in the household... So what opening up to younger age groups does is it not only creates um, some excitement around vaccination, but it also means that the 70-year-old grandmother has a 55-year-old daughter who can drive with her to the vaccination site and they get vaccinated together. And so that is some of the thinking and the spirit behind opening up to the younger generation sooner, not to disadvantage the elderly and not necessarily to drive, you know, artificial success of the program through increasing the numbers, but really to create a bit of a conveyor belt of, of, um, of people arriving at the vaccination sites, arriving at the vaccination sites sooner, generating some hype. Um, I mean, we also anecdotally that when 
when the EVDS was open for registration to the 35 to 49 plus, just the sheer reaction and excitement from that age group um, indicated that not only is there demand within the population, but that the this excitement and this availability of the vaccine to the younger age groups might drive traffic of the elderly as well, because then a 35-year-old might think, let me pick up my aunt, let me pick up my cousin, let me pick up um, our helper and ensure that they get vaccinated as well. And that energy and that impetus might not necessarily exist if that 35-year-old isn't able to vaccinate at the same time as these older individuals. Um, so that's that's the reaction there. And I think the EVDS, uh, the other reason why this is important is because the EVDS was also age-based. So just to, to respond to another comment that came out is that the, the reason why younger people weren't registering is because the EVDS was locked and it has been gradually unlocked for younger and younger people. And so previously, if you were not born, um, if you're not above 60, you could not even register the EVDS in May, for instance, uh, whereas now that is possible. And then um, speaking to, to the access again, so jumping around a little bit, but coming back to the first point around access. So this one has had to be a, a bit of a tight rope, especially because there are economic implications. So for instance, the number of sites that are active today uh, for the population, not the same as the number of sites that were open and available in May, uh, for instance, because you can appreciate that when we only have 5.5 million people who, who are eligible for vaccination, it becomes ineffective to open and activate sites enough for 40 million people. And so that is what initially drove some of the inaccess as well. But as more age groups become eligible again, as more sites are required, then sites closer to the people become active. And where before a 60-year-old would have had to travel 10, 15, 20 kilometers to a vaccination site, now the local clinic is available because for the provinces, then it starts making more sense, both economically and in terms of available resources in the forms of vaccinators. It becomes more possible for, for that site to open up and for that individual to have a site that's closer to them. And so that's the final one around, around vaccination. What has also what has also been noted, or perhaps what we've also come up against in, in noting the discrepancies between different age groups is that, um, again, the availability of the vaccine doses has been a real challenge. For instance, you can appreciate that at the start of the program, it was expected that we would would be able to kick off with Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson at the same time, with Johnson and Johnson being earmarked for the more rural provinces where the coal chain infrastructure is required, where the coal chain infrastructure for Pfizer, for instance, is not as readily available. But issues like that with the delay, um, with the FDA holding back those doses, all of those sort of had an impact not only on the speed and the scale that we were able to, to roll out the program and scale up this, the program, but also force the provinces to pivot their plans um, quite dynamically. Thanks, Teresa. So um, 
Bongelani had his hand up, but I, I also just want to um, abuse my position as, as the moderator to, to ask a follow-up question. Um, and it's about a barrier to accessing vaccines that hasn't come up in the discussion. And that's about people lacking documentation. So whether that is um, South African citizens without ID books or non-citizens, and I was wondering, Teresa, if you could give any insight. Uh, there's an article in Daily Maverick today that speaks to this, um, whether there's any insight uh, about the strategy the department is planning to implement to assist people without documentation, like I say, whether that's uh, citizens or, or non-citizens, and keeping in mind non-citizens might be particularly vulnerable, um, fearing deportation, harassment, and, and, and so forth. Um, Bongani, I saw your hand was up. I don't know if it's on this issue, if you want to come in. Lauren, uh, Bongani spoke about uh, the information, which is, yeah, uh, I, was, I agree with that. And Bongani spoke about the transport issues around around the vaccine, uh, where people can get transport to to, to, to the different areas around, around uh, to get vaccine. Um, it's just that Bungani is in Pratia South. I think that's where we differ, me and him. Uh, it's, it's that I'm in Region D, she's in Region G. Uh, in, in our region, we, we came up with this point. I think every, not every, but most of, uh, most of the parents of Africa came with the conclusion that we have our bed readings, we have our wheelchair bound, we have our uh, all these type of patients where they need access or we need transport to access vaccine. But we came up with the conclusion as a health co- as a healthcare workers or health CSWs, uh, we we came to the point whereby our sites as Shawela CEC needs to have a transport for, for, for elderly people. But what elderly people are we talking about? Are we talking about those who can walk? Are we talking about those um who have every access or who have transport to, 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 to get vaccinated. Then we came up with a strategy that says um, every community health workers must have a list of their inbound patients who cannot go out and access the, the, the vaccine. Then we came to our facility and say, Matron, we spoke with our Matron and Matron, we have these challenges with our old people. Then they gave us transport, by the way. So, so it, uh, for me, it's 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 where government goes in, uh, saying if our government have the same control in 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 our country, all the people will get vaccinated. But because of this nation thing, or because of this provincial thing, that how thing is acting so and so, KZN is acting so and so. Uh, Western Cape is acting like this, it kills our country. If we can have our 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 our, our policy or our our thing, I'm not I'm not sure what to call it, but if you can have our main thing where we, we we follow our rules or we follow our regulation in the same way, we wouldn't have this vaccine problem thing or where where we say some other people got vaccinated and others did not. The other issue I was just saying is 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 that when do we get vaccinated? Uh, our, our, our people uh, don't know that 
Oh, let, let me say they don't know. They know just that they force this thing to happen. Where they they were told or they are told by us as community because or by the news or, or social media or whatever media that you do not have to get vaccinated when you, you have symptoms. Uh, yes, are people forcing themselves whenever they're sick, whenever they have flu symptoms, whenever they have headaches, whenever they have your coughs, your whatever COVID symptoms, still they go to our facilities and lie to us. That's where the information goes back and lie to us that, no, I'm not experiencing any COVID symptoms. Then eventually whoever is there hey, must vaccinate you. Yet you're not okay. Yet you're not sure that you have COVID or not. But they will vaccinate you. That's the problem that we're having again. Um, and about the EVDS program, our people again. Yes, our EVDS got ages. They they they, they differ ages. But nowadays they tell you that thirty-five and above, thirty-five and above. But the problem is that the phone numbers. Most of the people will come back to us and say. I didn't get the, the, the SMS. I didn't get this. I didn't get this. But when I do the registration, he or she eventually get the SMS, whereby it's a knowledge. It's a knowledge-based thing. They don't have that knowledge or they don't put their numbers correctly or they don't answer the everything correctly. And the other thing, it's it's about patient's registration or uh yeah, just uh, the last thing was just a comment. What I saw yesterday is that most of our people, uh, they were celebrating to get J&J vaccine. They were not celebrating to get Pfizer vaccine. Hence again, the information. What information are we giving out there? How do we give them that information? The information is a problem in our country. Thanks, Bongani. Bongani, do you want to come in? So, so as we went around, this was a complaint to most of people to say, um, we, uh, we don't know, firstly, we don't know where our vaccination sites are. It is, tr- it is true what the community has just said on the issue of region G and region D in Proteasat. Because one of the things that like even people in Proteasat are confused as to which region do we belong to. How do you separate region D and region D in Proteasat? Because it's one community, according to the people who protest. We have a clinic in Proteasat that says we belong to region G, but people in Proteasat says we belong to region D. So those are the confusion that are happening and are happening from the government side. And that confuses most of people in Proteasat or elsewhere in, 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 in other places, because this is not the, the only place that has that, those problems. One is that like uh, the issue of EVTS respond on issues of SMSs. How is it that the community health workers are going to communities to say, if you have not yet received your SMS, then that means you should go to walk-ins. People are not even aware of the walk-ins. They are aware that like they will get SMS because they, they, the community health workers have told them what they have been told to say, when you register to the EVTS, then that means you must get an SMS and the SMS will tell you where to be registered. We have taken people to Leneza Hospital, Leneza Clinic, rather than Shawela, because of the no communication, much communication that says people in Protiasa are going to be vaccinated in Shawela Clinic, not in Leneza Clinic. And that, that like, it creates more database for, for Leneza than in Protiasa, than in Shawela. 
So those are the key issues that the Kwa raising to see. The vaccination side, the population in Frontier South, it's they have a population of about 25,000, 8,000 households, which we believe that there should be a vac- or pop out or a vaccination station that is based in within that community to vaccinate people so that people won't have to use transport to go anywhere, but they will just walk in into a station that's in within their own community. That's the first part. Uh, but the second part, the issue of um, uh, youth and, 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 and the and the and, and the old is that like uh, we strongly believe that like um, it, it's a matter of issues of class. Like for instance, there's no way that like people in the rich communities are uh, old people in the rich communities are not on social media. It's only we're saying this the issue of social media because we are referring to the poor. Most of poor communities don't have smartphone. They don't have uh, uh, access to phones that like they can be able to to be on, on, on social media. But yet. People who are on the uh, on the uh, rich people and middle class people, they are on social media. They are all able to deal with issues of fake news and all these things. It's a matter of class. It's a matter of our people are going to be left behind uh, simply because of the information uh, and the information that should be provided by our, our own government using pamphlets in, in the language that you understand, using billboards or mirrors in our, our but also mostly using our community leaders. Our communities are left behind uh, in all this process. And we know that our communities are our voices. Our, our communities are the ones that can change our minds, can do lots of things. It's not the president. Thanks, Mongani. So, Teresa, I wonder if, if you would like to come in on this issue that Bongani's raised about uh, the lack of visual messaging, uh, the signboards and so on in communities, and, and also this feeling that there's a top-down approach, that there isn't um, community-level engagement with, with leaders. Uh, and then also the question of um, uh, documentation um, and then Bongalani's question around mobility and, um, you know, whether, whether the department uh, sees the pop-up sites as um, kind of addressing some of the mobility issues in terms of accessing vaccines. Uh, so in the order that I've got them, I'll speak to your question first around the undocumented. So that's something that has been recognised as a significant challenge, um, especially because of the potential that it has to perpetuate uh, the health inequities and inequalities that already exist. And so as far as how that is going to be addressed, the policy is, thing, is still being developed uh, to that is going to speak to how that is addressed optimally and efficiently um, because you'll understand that the EVDS is the main database and portal for information related to to the vaccination program and so it links into other systems that are being used such as the SVS or the stock availability issue and so it's what allows a site to be able to link a vaccination vial or a dose of vaccine to an individual that has received it such that if the province has done 10,000 vaccinations for the day, then on SVS they have a stock allocation of minus 10,000. And so there are ways that are being developed to ensure that And again, the passport to the EBDS is either an ID number or passport number. So there's work being done in the background to determine how that can be overcome to ensure that people who 
don't have a passport or an ID number aren't continually disadvantaged in that process such that they arrive at a site and they're vaccinated but then it's not clear where those vaccination doses went because the EBDS is what is used to marry the stock visibility system, et cetera. So that's definitely a policy that's been developed. And then the second sort of board issue that was raised was related to transport. Um, I think I'll start, I'll start at the back with the issue raised by Bomano on social media. And I think actually he, he, he makes the point quite well himself to say that the discussion today has been about how social media is used as an access to spread fake news, to which then drives vaccine hesitancy. So my reaction to the comment is that it's all the better that indigent people don't have access, that, yeah, that the poor don't have access to social media because then the only source of information is, is TV, it's radio, and that tends to be a lot more reliable than the videos that are spread on social media. So I think that maybe as far as access to information is concerned, I think the government has not prioritized using social media exclusively for information sharing. And so access to or inaccess to social media does not equal inaccess to reliable information because that information is delivered in ways that people can access, such as radio and TV. Um, and then to sort of move up the list to address the transport issue more broadly. So there are three things that are being done there. Number one is the home-based vaccination programs that are being developed across across the different provinces, recognizing the fact that um, there are some people who are particularly vulnerable to COVID-19, who are also bed-bound and cannot, would not even be able to get themselves to a vaccination site if it was in their kitchen. And so there are programs that are being developed to take the vaccine to the people in their houses where they reside. Um, and anecdotally, I recall listening to the radio right at the start of the program where um, a caller based on Gauteng called into the show and was praising the, the Gauteng Department of Health because he had been scheduled to receive a vaccination dose at a particular site, which was inaccessible for him because he was homebound. And the, the, the facility manager at that particular site went to great pains to ensure that two vaccinators went out to the individual's address to vaccinate him in his house. And this was sort of within the first two or three weeks of the rollout. And programs like that are then being developed and rolled out broadly. Um, and then again, also relating to the, the, the trade-off that often has to be made. If I have 20 rand, am I going to use it to pay for a taxi to get to a vaccination site or buy a loaf of bread? Again, as the program scales up, as more people become eligible, more sites also open up as well. So we end up with sites that are closer and closer to the people and as such end up being within walking distance. And the issue of sub-district G versus sub-district E has never been a, a, a sort of barrier to say that if you live in sub-district E, you cannot get vaccinated in sub-district. That has never been, been stated at all. If anything, even the EBDS has evolved to the point where we're no longer prioritizing sending scheduling SMSs to individuals, but upon registration, allowing individuals to elect where they want to get vaccinated. So upon self-declaration of your address, the EVDS is able to pull up um, a list of sites that are close to you to say that there's this site, there's this site, there's this site. And then the 
the, the vaccine or potential vaccine is able to then elect that, oh, I'd like to go to this particular site instead of that one. And all of that is based on proximity. But that does not mean that um, one cannot then go to a site that's even further that isn't offered on the list. And then there's also, what's also in the works is the setup of mass vaccination sites across the provinces, especially the more densely populated provinces such as KZN, such as Gauteng, the Western Cape and the Eastern Cape. And those mass vaccination sites would not, would not only uh, provide a higher throughput capacity, but we'll also have transport related to the site such that there'll be a pickup point and a drop-off point. And you only need to walk to the pickup point and the transport will, will take you to the vaccination site and bring you back to that pickup point. So these are some of the some of the ideas that are being thrown around, some of the strategies that are being developed in order to ensure that the that transport and distance from a vaccination site does not become a barrier because that's when we will start to perpetuate the inequities again with only those who have access to cars or have access to transport fare, train fare, will be able to access the vaccination sites. And that's precisely what we're trying to avoid. Um, and then finally, on, on the sharing of information, on the billboards, on the pamphlets. Um, so the organization that I currently work for, having been to conduct to the National Department of Health, is the DG Murray Trust. And that is precisely something that is a priority for for, for that organization is developing those materials and getting them out so that information does not, so that access to information does not, again, perpetuate existing health inequities and inequalities. So there's definitely work that has been done in the background and will become more apparent in the coming days and weeks to address some of the very challenges that have been raised here. Thanks, Teresa. I want to check. We have five minutes left. Uh, so I want to check if there's anyone that does want to put a question on the table. Bernard? Uh, okay, Th thanks, Lauren, and uh, thanks to the people who have presented. My, my question is a, is a simple one. Um, 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 I don't understand why the government is prepared to, to pay for each and every person to be vaccinated, but is not prepared to pay for people to get tested, which is the very crucial step uh, which everyone needs and also even to, to, to assist people to get a mask. Can someone answer that for me? Thanks, Bernard. I, Melanie also in the chat earlier raised the question about masks, and, and some people are reporting that um, uh, it's, you know, the cost of masking is, is expensive, and is there, is there something being done to address that? So, Teresa? Uh, I, with regards to costs being a barrier, Unless I'm sorely mistaken, I do not believe that anyone is being charged to test at a public facility. Um, and so I believe that if one sort of presents to a local clinic, uh, to a local hospital, I do not believe that it is impossible for that person to access a test um, if, they, if they meet the criteria. And, if it's in some <coughs> Sorry. and then the second question, please remind me, Lauren. So the second question is about masking and provision of masks, if it's possible, uh, you know, to have some kind of subsidy or free masking scheme, I suppose, would be one way of, of posing the question. Yeah. Um, I know also maybe just to follow up with the, the testing question, in, in some provinces, people are being told at clinics if they're 40 and younger, 
then they're not eligible for testing for COVID. Um, so yeah, Bernard, I don't know if that's related to what you wanted to follow up with. Uh, yeah, yeah. Doctor is right to say that um, no one is being charged for testing in the public. But uh, what I'm saying is if you go and vaccinate in the private, government is actually subsidizing private sector for vaccinating people. Why not the same with, with uh, testing? Thanks, Bernard. I wanted to say something to, 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 to my guy about uh, getting tested. Okay, if it's short, and then I'm going to hand back to Teresa because we're almost out of time. For, for, for you to get tested, it's expensive. Yes, I agree with you. But at the, at the, at the, at the very same stage is that um, you have your every symptom, your every what, what, your every what, what. Go to your nearest clinic. For you to get tested, it's for free. For you to get your results, it's for free. That and go to, 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 to a private doctor and that person will charge you 850, which is you don't afford. But come to government things, everything is for free, my guy. Like free, free of charge, free. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks, Wangalani. Okay, uh, Teresa? I think on, on the masking, again, having not been to the powers, uh, having not been close to the powers that make these decisions and just speaking in my personal capacity, if you'll allow me to, uh, I think part of the reason why those subsidies have not, have not been made widely available is because I think the, the definition of what a mask is or isn't was kept very loose from the beginning. So I think it was said that even something like a scarf or a duke, and it was made accessible in that sense to say that you don't have to go to a discam and buy a surgical mask for you to be considered as masking up, but it can be something as, as accessible as a duke or a scarf or something that people already have in their homes. And I think that was de- designed particularly to, to, to make the point that your your class or your finances should not be able, should not be a deterrent to your ability to not only mask up but also prevent infection. Um, and then on the second point around um, age based discrimination to 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 testing services, uh, unfortunately that's something that I'm hearing about for the first time. And um, a part of me wants to say that that's maybe some street level bureaucracy that's being applied there. And I don't believe that any official policy has come out to say that um, age is a sole criteria. It's been, ba- it's been based on symptoms and, and et cetera, which is far more accurate um, because, again, COVID doesn't discriminate on, on the grounds of age. Thanks, Teresa, and, and thanks also to all of our speakers today. So Larato, Bongelani, Ntosh, Caroline, and Bongani. Uh, and of course, Teresa, um, I want to say thank you also to everyone that joined us. Hopefully it was insightful. You, you know, I think one of the things that comes out strongly is that communication and information remains key. Um, it's encouraging to hear that Department of Health uh, is listening, that there is engagement. But certainly from uh, what Bongani indicated, there's also a need, um, a demand for greater civil society engagement in decision-making forums, whether it's at national level and also at community level about um, a rollout. Um, And I think also one of the things that comes out clearly from the monitors' reports is that um, the CHWs, because most of the monitors are also working as CHWs, that 
they know their communities, they, they understand the different health challenges people face uh, and, and kind of the bigger social determinants of health that constrain access to information, vaccination, testing, and so forth. And so certainly in that sense, the, the CHWs uh, remain a big resource, um, but, but often uh, also neglected in terms of um, compensation, occupational benefits and, and so forth. So yes, thank you to everyone that participated, uh, everyone that attended. Um, and uh, we will be in touch uh, if we make, uh, we're hoping to make a podcast perhaps based on, on this webinar. And so we'll be in touch with the link uh, to share that if it should come to fruition. So stay safe and uh, take care. Thanks everyone. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.